0: Life Church, I am so glad that you've joined me today, this weekend. Whether you're at one of our campuses in Germantown, Brookfield, Appleton, Milwaukee, or online, we are delighted that you have joined us today. We're starting a brand new series called First Comes Love. This weekend and over the course of this month, we're going to unpack biblical truths from God's Word about relationships. And so today we're going to talk about marriage. And so if you're single and you're wanting to be married, this is a great message to kind of take some notes and begin to formulate or add to your already thoughts. If you're married, this is something to kind of evaluate and kind of gut check your way through as we talk about this subject matter of marriage. Now there's a few things that I'm going to say that may feel a bit counterintuitive. There's a few things I may push on that you may go, I'm not really sure about that. I would encourage you, don't just listen to my words or to what I'm saying, but go back to God's word. I'm going to give you scriptural references as we walk through this entire message and challenge you today. I know that everybody who says I do wants a marriage made in heaven. We want a marriage that will last. We want a marriage that's full and that's vibrant, that lasts. We we want all of that. Well, how do we get that? So let's go back to God's word, how God started things. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25, it's the account of Adam and Eve and God presiding over their union and over their marriage and beginning this first couple into this covenant relationship with marriage. Remember, before sin ever entered into the world, before the church was ever instituted, God created the institution of marriage. It's a sacred union that, that goes beyond anything that's in our world. This is, this is how God chose it to be between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman. And so I want to unpack this, and then we're going to get into the New Testament. Some um, Well, you'll see as we go along. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. Verse 20, the man gave the names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the heaven, to the beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that, God, that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and brought her to man. Then man said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now we see that Adam and Eve, this is before sin. They have this perfect marriage and union that God creates. That God brings together. And, and so... Let's, let's look at this just for a minute because it kind of there's some insight here that we began with of how do I have a marriage like this, a marriage made in heaven, a marriage that God brings together, a marriage where the two become one flesh, a marriage where there's such an, incre- an, an crazy amount of intimacy that comes from a, a transparency and a vulnerability that we see in the life of Adam and Eve. So let's, 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 let's unpack this. I'm going to give you a couple of principles today that I think will help you that are coming right from God's word about how a marriage is made in heaven and how it can be in your own life. First statement, the first principle is to know God. Know God. We see that God, that Adam had a relationship with God before he ever had a relationship with Eve. That Adam knew God before he ever knew Eve. What do you, what do you mean by this, Aaron? I mean, he put God first That first relationship, he knew who God was for himself before he ever entered into a relationship with someone else. It's it's what Jesus says is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's what he says in Matthew's gospel where he says uh, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things, all these other relationships will be added unto you. When we put God first in our life, when we know him first, when he has first priority, guess what? Our marriage, our kids, our relationships, all the other things that are in our lives, they're important to us. They will all find their proper place. But if you try to put a spouse in front of God or your kids in front of God or any other relationship in front of God, it just doesn't work. Why? Because God created you and I. In his likeness and in his image. And so, when he, the creator, designed you and I, the creation, this is how he designed us. Now, you may push back on this. You may not be a Christ follower. You may go, I don't know if I believe that. That's okay. But here's what you need to understand what I believe and where I'm coming from is that God is the creator. Of the heavens and the earth. That God did form man from the dust of the ground. That he did form woman from man. That this is exactly how he did it. Therefore, he's the creator. And Adam and Eve in this case, or you and I today, are his creation. Therefore, the creator knows what's best for the creation. He's Lord, I'm not. I need to know him. I'll say it this way. You got to find Number one, before you find number two. got to find God in a relationship with him, first and foremost, before you're ever going to have a fruitful marriage and relationship. You may have a good marriage. You may have a good spouse. You may have a good time. But if you're really going to have a marriage made in heaven, a marriage that's healthy, a marriage that's robust, a marriage that's full of the passion and the life that's going to last a lifetime, no God. Put him first. And then that relationship with the spouse, then the relationship with your kids, then the relationship with your family and your friends and so forth and so on. They'll all come along when you know him first. That's what we see with Adam. Second observation is know yourself. Know yourself. What am I talking about? I'm talking about purpose. The purpose of what God created you to be. God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us on this planet. You're not here just because. You're not an accident. You didn't just happen to be here. God knit you together, the Bible says, in your mother's womb. And He has a plan and a future for you and for me. So, what is that plan? What is that future? That's what you've got to know. You've got to know you. You've got to know what your call is and what you're supposed to do before you ever bring someone else into a relationship, before you ever bring your spouse into that covenant relationship of marriage. With Adam, we see that Adam was given dominion over the face of the earth. We see that Adam was was to call in the name every single critter that crawled along the face of the planet, that flew in the air, or that swam in the sea. That Adam was to be in charge of the Garden of Eden, this utopia that God set them into, that that was his purpose. That was why God, God created him, first and foremost, for relationship with him. And secondly to have dominion, and to have leadership over the face of this planet. And then Eve comes into the situation. Let me say something. If you are a young man or a young woman, and you're single, and you want to get married one day, know God first, and then out of that relationship with God, let him reveal his purpose and plan for your life, and then go into the marriage relationship. That's the way to do it. Now you may go, oh, sorry man, I totally got everything mixed up and, and I got married before I ever knew God and, 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 and I, I found God, but I'm still trying to figure out my purpose. Okay, I understand that, but I want you to understand this. It may take some time as you figure out your purpose and whatever you do, do quickly, that when you figure out that purpose for that marriage relationship to come and be what it needs to be. Because the truth of the matter is, is your spouse may be waiting on you. And the two of you really can't move ahead until you figure out what it is you're supposed to do. So you have to do that. And you may have, when you were single, had all these choices. But because of decisions that you've made and decisions to be married, you're now limited to the number of choices that you have. That's not right. That's not wrong. That's just reality. It's kind of like if I told you, hey, I want to go be an Olympic runner. <laughs> it's not going to happen. First of all, I would never be an Olympic runner at any point in my life that I have that gift set. But, but especially at 49, there are just things that have passed me by. Maybe I can have a goal to go to the Olympics and watch somebody run, but I'm not going to be the guy running. I got to know myself. I got to know who I am. I got to know what I'm called to do and what I'm called to be and what I'm not called to be and do. Know God, know yourself. The third thing we see is know your role. Know your role. Now for this, I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Go to the New Testament. I'm going to get into a passage of Scripture. I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can. But I'm going to get into this passage of Scripture that a lot of times we try to avoid because it talks about submission. It talks about wives submitting to their husband. Yep, that's where I'm going today. And I, because again, I don't get editorial privilege of God's word. I I just have to preach his word and explain it. And now this is something you're going to have to flesh out. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and his body and is himself its savior. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Go back to verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All of us, men and women, husbands and wives, all of us, we all began with submission. This isn't something that the wife does and the husband doesn't have to do. No, no, no. We both begin with submitting. To whom? To Christ. This is not just about being a person of authority. It's about being a person under authority. We live in a world where everybody wants to be an authority. Everybody wants to be an authority in their business, in their marketplace. Everybody wants to be an authority in their home. Nobody wants to submit to anybody else. And Paul's talks here to the church in Ephesus. Let's begin with submission. This is an attitude. This is a humility. This is a humbling. This is me saying, you know what, God? You don't have to break me down or crush me. You don't have to make it hard on me. I willfully palms up. I submit myself to you. I will say what you want me to say and do what you want me to do and be what you want me to be. We began there, both husband and wife. And so that's, that's, a, that's a baseline that we are both submitted, not even to one another, but unto the Lord. Because here's the deal. Again, it goes back to know the Lord, know yourself, know your role. It all begins with submission unto the Lord. Submission in marriage means this. Let's get on into this verse number 22 and 23 and 24 and 25 when it talks about submitting to one another. Submission in marriage means this equal value, different in function. Equal in value, different in function. Submission is not a lordship. Notice in this passage, the only person that's called Lord is Jesus Christ, not the man. Ladies, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Amen. It's not the wife. It's not your kids. That's a whole other message for another day. It's Jesus Christ. So the submission is about an equal value. God views men and women both equal in value. Men are not greater than women. Women are not greater than men. Contrary to any popular opinion, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. God loves the ladies as much as he loves the men. And he loves you men as much as he loves the the, the ladies. This is who God, God loves us all equal. But we have different functions. We have different roles. That's where I go back to know your role. And so the way the Bible set this up is that you have one leader in a marriage, one leader in a home. Now, this is a leadership principle that I kind of live by in all areas. And that's this, anything that's got more than one head is a freak. If you saw a being, a person, a human being walking down the road with two heads, something's not right. But many times that you see this in marriages, where where well th- you're, you're going to have two heads, you're going to have you're going to have two opinions, you're going to have two leaders, and then and then we wonder why our kids are messed up because again it just it doesn't work in marriage, it doesn't work in life, it doesn't work in relationships, it doesn't work in sports, it doesn't. We may be a team, but we all have an equal value, but we have different roles and functions. And so, men, God's called you to lead and to love. Notice this: that you are to lead. Just as Christ led. You are to lead just as Christ led. So, what does that mean? How did Jesus lead? Did he lead by powering up? Did he lead by crushing everybody? Did he lead by, by lording over? No, 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 no. He took, uh, the Bible says, he left the glory and the splendor of heaven and clothed himself in humanity and made himself of no reputation and humbled himself in the form of a man and went even to the cross. This isn't about power. This isn't about, hey, woman, you know, get my, get my dinner on the table at 5 o'clock, and I'm going to go sit in a lazy chair, and you're going to do what I'm doing. No, 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 no. This is not. This is about leading. How do I lead? I defer my wife and my kids in front of me. I make sure that my wife and my children are taken care of first. I'm the last one that gets. The Bible says that the way of the kingdom is God first, others second, myself third. This is why the world has such a hard time with the ideology of submission, especially in marriage, because it goes against the very grain and nature of who we are as human beings. We want I, me, and my, and this doesn't work. Even if you're a man, you're to support and love and defer and protect and humble yourself, as Jesus did, as he does to the church, to your wife. Notice in this passage it says for husbands to love their wives. It never tells the wife to love the husband. Why? Because men, sometimes in all of our doing and sometimes in all of our leading, we forget that our role is to love. We're created for relationship, not accomplishment. Wives, your role, as God has called you, is to first of all submit yourself unto him, verse 21. And then secondly, verse 22 says... You are, in verse 20, 22 says, you are to submit to your husband. Why? Because, not because you're made to, but because you chose to be in marriage. You chose to be in covenant relationship. You chose to do this. Doesn't mean that you're less value. Doesn't mean that you're less important. It just means that's your role in the team. That's your role function that's your role you have a very important role but that's that's so but the husband is leading and the wife is submitting and the two become one flesh but they're both submitted unto the lordship of Christ and so when we're submitted unto the lordship of Christ and we know who we are and then we know our role we're not fighting with one another we're not competing with one another we're complementing one another why submission in marriage why is it such a big deal because it requires faith. You have to give up control. It can't be about you. If you're the husband, it's not about you. It's about your wife. It's about your kids. It's about your family. You're loving them. You're, 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 you're humbling yourself. You're, you're, it's not about you. And if you're the wife, you have to say, hey, I've got to trust this man that God has brought into my life. That he is God's man for my life. And that he is going to protect and to take care of. Not that he completes you. It's not this ideology that he completes you. Listen, I, I have two daughters that Tammy and I have raised. And one of the things that we raise them with is a fierce independent streak. Not, not of powering up, but of saying, look, you don't need anybody except for Jesus to complete you. But when the day comes that the Lord brings whomever it is that you're supposed to be in a covenant relationship of marriage with, your role And that marital relationship, in order for it to function, is, quite frankly, is that he needs to be leading, and you need to be under that submission, and you both need to be submitted unto the Lord. So find a young man that, first of all, loves God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and is submitted there. And then secondly, find a a young man who knows his purpose and his calling, and then it's very easy to follow when you've got someone that's leading. Truth of the matter is, I don't think there's a lot of women that are frustrated with having to be in that particular role as long as their husband will be the spiritual leader, will be the leader in the home. When they abdicate that role, that's when it becomes very wonky. See, submission in marriage requires faith. The same way we submit to Christ and give up our own life, that's when we find life and find freedom. It's this upside-down kingdom that Jesus talked about. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be served, then you've got to first serve. If you want to be great, then you've got to be the least among you. This is why the spirit of this world hates this whole ideology of submission. And tries to completely blow this up. It's the spirit of antichrist, Because Jesus lived this out. And this is how he does with the church. He leaves the glory and splendor of heaven. He submits himself under the will of the Father. And comes to the earth. And he lives and he loves and he gives his life. And that's the way we as men and that marital relationship. We're supposed to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we are to serve our families. Even if it means the end of ourselves in order that they're taken care of. And then wives, you're supposed to be trusting unto the Lord and unto the man that God has brought into your life, that the two of you become one flesh, that you're not in, it's not a competition, but you're together and that you're one and that this is beautiful thing. And it requires faith and trust in the Lord, faith and trust in in, in that other person. And, And it requires giving up some control. And the world goes, no, because the world says, if it feels good for you, you do it. If it's good for you, you do it. You don't take care of anybody else but you. The world says it's all about I, me, and my. It's secular, selfish humanism. The Bible says, no, it's got to come to the end of you. You must decrease, he must increase. That's where submission is found. That's the reason why godly marriages last. That's the reason why it is impossible for two people that are truly submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ and endeavoring to fulfill the call of God in their life and they are working together and that husband truly loves that wife and defers her and submits himself unto God first and then defers and takes care of his family and that godly woman uh, submits herself unto the Lord and then submits herself on the leadership of her husband and the two of them work as a team in tandem, equal value, different in function. It is impossible for that to fall apart if God is number one, Purpose is clear and roles are both understood and lived out. And guess what? The marriage flourishes. That's the way God designed it. A marriage made in heaven. Fourth thing, and I land the plane with this. Know your spouse. Know your spouse. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. The Bible says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. It gives us this picture of the height of transparency, of vulnerability, of intimacy. I've heard the word intimacy be defined as into me, see. Into me, see. See into me physically. See into me spiritually. See into me emotionally. It's this Feeling and this sense of I am completely vulnerable, transparent. There is nothing that's hidden between me and my wife, between me and my husband, between a husband and and a wife. Because what prevents intimacy? Sin. Disobedience to God's word. Disobedience to God's word is the number one way to begin to to, to cover up your nakedness and begin to hide. Because that's exactly what happens with Adam and Eve. If you read on in the rest of chapter two and into chapter three, you see that they do, they disobey God's word. They eat of the fruit of the tree that they were told not to. And immediately they realize that they were naked and they clothed themselves with leaves. And when God comes walking as he did every day in the cool of the day, and and and, and God says, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? Adam says, we're hiding, Lord. Why are you hiding? Because we are naked. Who told you you were naked? Sin kills intimacy. When sin comes into a marriage, when sin comes into your life, and if you invite sin in as a husband or you invite sin into your life, disobedience to God's word, as a wife, you bring that in. And and wherever sin lives, intimacy dies. Wherever intimacy lives, sin dies. Because it begins with sin, Then it goes to secrets. There are things that he does and things that she does and things that he knows and things that she knows and things that he doesn't know and things that she doesn't think he knows. And then it eventually gets to silence. We just don't talk about this. We just don't converse about this. And there's parts of your life that are completely covered and no longer vulnerable, open, transparent, and intimate intimate the way we see verse 25 of Genesis chapter 2 where they were naked and they were not ashamed so how do you keep intimacy how do you keep that in your marriage how do you know your spouse and you keep that confess your sin to God this is why having a daily time with the Lord is so important where you allow the Holy Spirit to kind of check your own heart and you confess your sin to God secondly Make a decision that you're gonna keep no secrets. And thirdly, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Do not let silence come in and rob you of intimacy. No, talk about the issue. Look, you're human, you're gonna fail, you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna get mad, she's gonna get mad. You're gonna get upset, she's gonna get upset. But at the end of the day, keep talking and allow God to fill into that space. Keep praying and keep yourself humble before the Lord. Keep your heart open and keep it pliable. Again, This is how a marriage is made in heaven. So today, here's how I want to end our message. Usually I end with a prayer. But today I want to go back to John and Eileen, who have been married for almost 50 years. And I want you to hear from them how the difference that bringing God and knowing Him, knowing themselves, knowing their role, and ultimately allowing that marriage to be made in heaven, how it worked in their own lives. Check out this.
1: We weren't established believers at the time we got married.
2: Was I a Christian when I came into the marriage? I would say yes, I would call myself a Christian, but I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. My priest was my go-to, and I never cracked the Bible, not once, and I relied on him for all of my information. So did I have a personal relationship? No.
1: Once we got married, you know, once in a while we'd go to her church, once in a while we'd go to a Lutheran church and it just, there was nothing in the experience for us because even though we knew about Christ, we never had established that relationship with Christ.
2: So we just didn't do anything. No faith, really. No acting out of faith or Bible reading or any of that. I don't think it was... Um, harder when we were not a Christian I just think it was empty I mean there was nothing like nothing outside of each other to live for that's a good way to put it Um, and now we have this thing we do together and it's it's great I can take you to the place on Blue Mound Road where I pulled over after work one day and said God if you're real I want it so he was surprised (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that, and that was when I found out that she had accepted Christ. Uh, it was the same night then that I finally accepted Christ. We were out with my brother Rick and his wife. It, it, after it was all over, the evening was over, we dropped him off at their house and he came around to the side of the, my side of the car. He, uh, he looked right at me and he says, "John, I love you, and so does Jesus. Instantly I had this huge lump in my throat, (laughs) couldn't talk, had a hard time driving the mile or two home to where we live. I started bawling like a baby. I says, God, I "I want to know this love. And that's where it started. So that was, wow, 1975. Starting out marriage without uh, having Christ in our lives. We made it through three years, I guess, without it. But uh, certainly once we both accepted Christ, there was a totally different dynamic of how that relationship with Christ so much enhanced our own relationship. And uh, it really changed uh, the tone of our marriage completely.